morning. All right, who we got today? We got the Niners? Oh, we got a few. Okay, California team at least, right? What about the Chiefs? We have any Chiefs in here? Come on, come on. Hey, the Lord has put it on my heart to have a prayer meeting at 3.30 today, so I'm joking. <laughs> hey, um, men, this is your warning. Valentine's Day is next week, or this week, actually. It is Wednesday, so don't say you didn't get reminded, okay, because I'm reminding you it is Valentine's Day. Come on, ladies, right? Yeah? Okay. So my wife's birthday is like a few days after Valentine's Day, and when we, yeah, when we got together, one of the first ground rules that she laid down was they are not combined. You do not combine the two. Anybody have birthdays? Yeah. You do not combine the two. So uh, um, I was wondering if there's a statute of limitations on that, but I don't think so. So uh, anyways, hey, when you walked in, you received a bulletin that has all kinds of information. We also have an overview for you that we're doing on every book that we're teaching on. It's a little cheat sheet, just give you some information about that book. Also on the back has a message notes. You can also download our New Hope Eastlake app and follow along for today's message. So we're in this series entitled, This is My Bible. And from January to December, from Genesis to Revelation, we're looking at a new book every single week. And we've created, we've developed these little mini-series within the overall series of This Is My Bible. We spent the first five weeks in a series we called Foundations. And we looked at the books of the law, the books of Moses, the first five books of the Bible. Today we're beginning a brand new mini-series, and it's called Ordinary People with Extraordinary Stories. We forget oftentimes when we read the Bible that this isn't legend, okay? These are real people that lived real lives and did real things. People that had real struggles. These are real events, Real events. And over the next several weeks, we're going to look at incredible people like we will today. We're going to look at Joshua. We're actually going to look at three people today. We're going to look at an intern. We're going to look at a prostitute. And we're going to look at a spy. It kind of sounds like a joke, right? Right? An intern, a prostitute, and a spy walked into a bar. And, right? It's kind of like the start of a joke. But I think it is important for us to understand that these are real people. And I believe this with all my heart. I believe it with all my heart. That every single one of you, all of you, every one of you, has the potential to do great things for God. Every single one of you has the ability to be used by God in great ways. These people that we're going to look at over the next few weeks, they weren't born saints. They weren't born perfect. They were born flawed and sinful, just like us. And yet, when the moment came for them to step up and for God to do something great, they were ready. And so it begs the question, are you ready? Are you willing to let God use you in extraordinary ways? Jesus told us that the harvest is plentiful, listen, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. 
there are few people that are willing to be used by God in great ways. There are few people that are willing to do what it takes to be instruments of God. The harvest is plentiful. There's plenty to do. God has plenty of work that needs to be done. But the laborers are few. And so here's a question. Are you willing? Are you willing to say, God, I want you to use me. God, when you want to do something great, I'm willing to be that person if you so choose. I'm willing. I'm ready. And I believe that's powerful. And we're going to look at a man named Joshua today. This was an ordinary guy who was used in extraordinary ways. So turn to the book of Joshua. We're going to look at the historical content. We're going to look at some key events. We're going to run through the entire book of Joshua in an expedited way. And then we're going to look at three people, ordinary people that God used in extraordinary ways. And then we're going to wrap it up with some life application. So turn to the book of Joshua. It's the sixth book of the Old Testament. Can you name the first five? You ready? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Yes, great job. Give yourselves a hand. Come on. Yes. And now the sixth book is Joshua. Joshua. Okay, so the author of this book is obviously Joshua and other scribes. So it was common for people to have personal scribes or obviously Joshua's going to come to the end here at the, at, at, toward the end of this book. Um, he dies, and so um, obviously other people had to kind of fill in some spots. So, so Joshua and, and scribes that are responsible uh, for this book. Joshua's name, it's interesting, Joshua's name means the Lord is salvation. The shortened form of his name in Hebrew is the equivalent to the name Jesus. It's actually pronounced Jehoshua or almost like Yeshua, Yeshua, Joshua. And that's the Greek form of the name Jesus. And so Joshua takes over for Moses. Moses is dead. And Joshua is the new leader of this next generation. Remember, the first generation of Israelites were not able to enter the promised land. They disobeyed God. They were scared. They didn't do what God had told them to do. And not even Moses was able to enter the promised land during that time. There were two people from that first generation that were able to enter, and they're Joshua and Caleb. So Joshua's the new leader. He has taken charge of these couple million Israelites, and he's going to take them into the promised land. The first half of the book, chapters 1 through 13, we, we, we see the seven-year conquest of the land. And then the second half of the book, 14 through 24, Joshua divides up the land. Remember, there are the 12 tribes of Israel, and so he divides the land up between these tribes. There are two strategic campaigns in this book. You have the southern campaign, which is the first part, and then you have the northern campaign, which is the second part. It's interesting that we've been hearing this term a lot, promised land, right? We hear it a lot in the book of Joshua. If you're reading along, if you're reading your Bible every day like we've asked you to do, 
you hear this term over and over, promised land. We've heard it through Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. We've heard it throughout. Promised land, promised land. Well, what is the promised land? Where is the promised land? Looking back, it obviously becomes figurative where the promised land is, of course, heaven. But the promised land was a real place that God had promised to Abraham and his descendants. It's their land that God had promised them. So it would include today, modern-day Israel, including Gaza, the West Bank. It would include Jordan, as well as parts of Egypt, Saudi Arabia, Syria, portions of Lebanon, and Iraq. That would be what would be known as, or, or in those days, would be the promised land in, in modern-day uh, uh, geographical places. You'll see this term throughout J Joshua. How many of you have already read the book of Joshua? Come on. You didn't know I was going to ask that today, right? Joshua, you, you, you see this term possession over and over. Matter of fact, over a dozen times you see the word possession. And this is important because they've been wandering for 40 years. They've been wandering in the wilderness. And so finally, they're going to have possession of the land. They're going to have a permanent place. They're going to be able to settle in. They're going to be able to settle down. No more wandering. They're going to be able to go to the place that God has for them. So Joshua chapter 1. We're going to look at some key events. We're going to quickly run through kind of an overview of this book. Joshua chapter 1. The first main event that we see, the first key event, is that God prepares Joshua to enter the land as a leader, and then Joshua prepares the people to enter the long-awaited promised land. Chapter 1, verse 1. After the death of Moses, the Lord's servant, the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant. Remember, Joshua was Moses' servant. He was like an intern. He was Moses' assistant for a long time. Now that my servant Moses is dead, you must lead my people across the Jordan River into the land that I am giving to them. I promise you what I promised Moses. Everywhere you go, you will be on the land that I have given you. From the Negev Desert in the south to the Lebanon Mountains in the north, from the Euphrates River to the east to the Mediterranean Sea on the west, and all the land of the Hittites, no one will be able to stand their ground against you as long as you live. For I will be with you as I, with, as I was with Moses. And this is awesome. I will not fail you, nor will I abandon you. And that still holds true to us today. Isn't that awesome? Notice what the Lord says to Joshua multiple times. Remember, when you're studying the Bible, look for things that are repeated because it's important. He tells Joshua to be strong and courageous three times in the next few verses, and then he does again in verse, um, in verse 18. He says, Be strong and courageous, for you will lead my people to possess, there's that word, all the land that I swore to give to their ancestors. Be strong and very courageous. Obey all the laws that, I, that Moses gave you. Do not turn away from them, and you will be successful in everything that you do. Remember, we talked a little bit about this last week, that a lot of the promises of God are conditional. They're conditional. If, you see these words, if, then, if, then, 
if then. If you do this, then God is always going to keep his promise. God will do this. And we see the same thing here. Study this book of the law continually. He would have had the law that was given to Moses. Meditate on it night and day so that you be sure to obey all that is written. Only then will you succeed. I command you, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. So God gives this pep talk to Joshua. I'm never going to abandon you. Go take that land. With Joshua's wanted to do it for 40 years. And now it is time. And then we see in the next few verses, verses 12 through 13, Joshua encourages and prepares the team for battle. Then Joshua called together the tribes of Reuben and Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh, verse 12. And he told them, Remember what Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you. The Lord God is saying, or the Lord God is giving you rest and has given you this land. Wow. God is saying, it's time. Now it's time. I've given you the land. I've gone before you. I've prepared the way. Now go and take the land. So Joshua does kind of what Moses did, except Joshua learned from Moses. Moses sends 12 spies, and only two came back with a good report. So, Moses, or so Joshua says, forget that. I'm only going to send two spies. And so Joshua sends some spies into the city, and the next major event is in chapter 2. They come across a very unlikely ally. Look in verse 1. Then Joshua secretly sent out two spies from the Israeli camp, at Acacia, and he instructed them, spy out the land on the other side of the Jordan River, especially around Jericho. So the two men set out, and they came to the house of a prostitute, an unlikely ally named Rahab, and they stayed the night there. Isn't that interesting? Why would they go to a prostitute's house and spend the night? That's interesting. Well, we find out, yeah, don't let your mind start going a bunch of different places. They're on a mission from God. We find out in the text that her house was literally on the wall surrounding Jericho. We also, which would become important a little later, also think, think of this strategically, okay? It wouldn't raise an alarm for there to be strangers coming in and out of her house. Everybody knew who she was, what she did. So the king of Jericho gets word that there might be some spies entering the land. So he goes to Rahab's house. Hey, where are the spies? And she's like, well, they were here, but they're gone. They, they left. But little did they know that she had hidden them. She'd hidden the spies. She'd put them up on top of the roof. And look in uh, verse 8. Before the spies went to sleep that night, Rahab went up on the roof to talk with them. I know the Lord, listen to what she says, I know the Lord has given you this land. She told me, and this is really interesting, these next few verses, because it contradicts the report that the spies brought back when Moses sent the spies out. Remember the spies were scared, they were afraid, they said that we are... We are, um, we are grasshoppers in their eyes, and they are scared to death. There's no way we can take this land. But remember, God had told them that he's already prepared the way. And look at what Rahab says about 
Jericho. She says, I know the Lord has given you this land, she told him. We are all afraid of you. Everyone is living in terror. For we've heard how the Lord has made a dry path for you to, through the Red Sea when you left Egypt. And we know what you did in Sihon and Og, the two Amorite kings in the east and the Jordan River whose people you completely destroyed. No wonder our hearts have melted with fear. And no one has the courage to fight after hearing such things. For the Lord, and here's her confession of faith, for the Lord your God is the supreme God the heavens, of the heavens above and below the earth. Isn't this interesting? Rahab says, we are scared to death. Nobody even wants to fight you. God had told them he prepared the way. And yet they were scared to death of the people that were scared of them. Nobody wanted to fight them. They were scared of them because they had heard what God had done and the miracles that God had performed. So they make a pact with her. She's like, will you, when you come and invade and take the territory that God has given to you, will you spare me and my family? And so she gathers all of her family and they all go into her house. And the spies said, this is going to be a sign. When you set out this rope, because her house is on the wall, set out this rope, this scarlet piece of, uh, of rope or this scarlet piece of material out your window and we will know that we're not to invade that room. And everybody in that house will be safe and spared. Kind of reminds you of Passover. Kind of reminds you of the blood of Jesus, a scarlet rope that saves her and her family. That scarlet still saves us. The next key event, we'll come back to Rahab here in a little bit, is the crossing of the Jordan River. In chapter 3, the Bible says in the text that the Jordan River was overflowing its banks more than normal. And remember, when God had brought them out of Egypt, he parted the Red Sea. Well, God would do something similar in chapter 3. God tells Joshua to get the priests to get the ark. And it's interesting what he says. He tells them to go into the river. To go into it. And in verse 13 it says, A priest will carry the ark of the Lord and uh, the Lord of all the earth. When their feet hit the water, the flow of the water will be cut off upstream. And we know that the Lord stopped the river and all of those people were able to go across the Jordan River. I've been in the Jordan River. It can get big. Matter of fact, some scholars say that when it was overflowing at bank, its banks, it could be as far as a mile wide. And so it's interesting that the Lord performs this miracle. But what's interesting about this is that this isn't going to happen until their feet are in the water. Oftentimes, we think that miracles happen before the step of faith. And it's usually the reverse. We wait for God to just open everything up and then we go across. Well, that doesn't take faith. But God tells them, go into the river. And when you step in, then I will work. And the same thing happens for us oftentimes. The miracle comes after the step of faith. Very rarely does it come before when God tells us to do something, we do it, even if it doesn't make sense. And so they go into the river. It's overflowing its banks. Why would we do that? 
because God told you to do it. And so they do it. And God parts it and they go across chapter 4. They memorialize, remember the 12 tribes of Israel? They memorialize this event of crossing the Jordan River by stacking 12 stones. Maybe you've heard of churches called 12 stones or, or you've heard of it. There's a Christian band called 12 stones and, and this is where they get it from. They memorialize this event of crossing. Chapter 5, Joshua spiritually prepares them for battle. This new generation are circumcised. That would have been a rough day for all the boys, right? Woo! Getting ready to go to war and you got to be circumcised first. As they, so, so they approach, as they're approaching, Joshua encounters the Lord. And then something really interesting happens in chapter 6 as they approach. Remember, God has already told them it's your land. Take it. I've prepared the way. I've gone before you. This is a promise that I'm giving you this land. And yet, look in verse 1 of chapter 6. Now, the gates of Jericho were what? Tightly shut. But I thought it was God's will. Because the people were afraid of the Israelites. No one was allowed to go or out. This is so important, you guys. Because oftentimes we equate God's will with ease, with easiness. And we say things like this, well, if it's God's will, all the doors will be open. If it's God's will, everything is going to go smooth. Matter of fact, one of the ways I know that it's God's will is because all the doors are wide open and everything just goes smooth. It was God's will. Well, this is God's will. God has been telling them for generations, the land is yours, take it. And yet they go to Jericho and everything is shut. All the doors are shut. It's secure. It's tightly shut. Oftentimes, you guys, listen, because it's false theology that teaches that God's will, everything's going to be easy. If it's God's will, the doors are just going to... Now, sometimes that does happen. But very rarely, oftentimes, God's will, there's going to be resistance. There's going to be a spiritual battle. It's not going to be easy. How many times did God tell Joshua to be strong and courageous? Why would he need to be strong and courageous if it was going to be easy? They still had to cross that river. They still had to go to the city. They still had to take the city. They had a battle on their hands. And so just because maybe you've come up, up against some resistance in your life for things that you thought were God's will, it doesn't mean that it's not God's will. Because oftentimes all it takes is that little bit of resistance. And we quit, don't we? We give up. Just a little bit of resistance. Oh, it must not be God's will. And oftentimes God's will is on the other side of the struggle. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. You see, we might go through some stuff to get to God's will, but it doesn't mean that it's not God's will if resistance is met. It just means we need to be strong and courageous and persevere. And oftentimes, God's will is on the other side of the difficulties. And we never experience it because we quit at the first sign of resistance. Well, thank God, this time the Israelites did not. They decided to listen to God and to do what God had told them to do. So this is what God does in, in chapter 6. Okay, it's Super Bowl Sunday, okay? So, 
so God, God gets in a huddle with Joshua. And he's like, okay, Joshua, let's huddle up. Let's, let, let's huddle up here. Here's a game plan, okay? Joshua's thinking, okay, he's going to give me the swords and the grenades and the rocket launchers. And he's going to give me... He's going to give me the spears and all this stuff to go fight this battle. I can't wait. Okay, what's the game, what's the game plan, God? And God says, okay, Joshua, this is what I want you to do. Are you ready? Here's the game plan. I want you to get all your people, and I want you to walk around the city. What? We're counting steps? Joshua? I don't want you to talk. I don't want you to yell. I want you to take a horn and I want you to play an instrument and I want you to walk around the city. And then on the second day, yes, we're going to fight. No, 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 no. You're going to walk around the city again, Joshua. No yelling, no talking. Blow the horn and walk around the city. And then on the third day, yes, we're going to fight. Yes. No, 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 Joshua. You're going to walk around the city again. Six days, you're going to do nothing but walk around the city. Remember, Joshua is a veteran military leader. He's a commander. And then Joshua on the seventh day, we're going to fight. No, 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 Joshua. You're going to walk around the city not once, not twice, not three times, seven times you're going to walk around the city. And on that seventh time, you're going to blow all the horns, you're going to shout, you're going to yell. Ready? Break. What? What kind of plan is that? Are you kidding me, God? We come to fight, and you want us to walk? But Joshua does what God tells him to do because, listen, God's will doesn't always make sense. God's plan, we can't always quantify. Sometimes God asks us to do things that don't always make sense. And such is the case here. And so they do what God tells them to do. And on that seventh time around, on the seventh day, the walls come crumbling down. They invade the city and they take the city. They have it. They're in the promised land. But things don't always go perfect. Because you'll find out if you've read chapter 7, chapter 8, chapter 9, they begin to get a little cocky. They begin to get a little full of themselves. And you'll read things like, they did not consult with the Lord. All this time they depended upon God. So they take Jericho, this major city, and then they come to this little city named Ai. And they go and they scope it out and they're like, you know what? We don't need our A team. There's just a few of them. Let's take the B team. We don't really need to do much. God had told them, do not take any plunder. Do not take any gold. Silver, it is for the Lord's treasury. That is it. You're, you're not to take anything at all. You're to burn everything. You're to leave everything. Burn it all. And there's a man named Achan in this group who decides he knows better than God. And Achan decides to take a robe and to take some silver and some gold. And they decided to send their B team because they didn't need God. 
They defeated mighty Jericho. This little city's no big deal. And they are defeated at Ai. Joshua is dumbfounded. How in the world could this happen? And the Lord reveals to him that one, they didn't consult him. Two, somebody had taken some plunder. They identify Achan. He's dealt with. They regroup, they recommit, and they go and they defeat Ai. But then the Gibeonites are next. The Gibeonites are a small group. They deceive Joshua. And you read again that they did not consult the Lord. And so they made allies out of people they were supposed to get off of the land. There's a reason why God told them to get rid of everything. Everything. Because he didn't want outside influences in a pagan culture to influence this generation of Israelites that are supposed to be consecrated to the Lord. He told them, get rid of everything. Wipe it all out. Get rid of everything there. All the false gods, but they didn't. And what's interesting is that if you read the rest of the book, Israel did not take anywhere near the amount of land they were supposed to. And they became allies with a lot of the people that they were supposed to defeat. And as we'll see next week in the book of Judges, and as we'll find at the end of this book, at the end of Joshua, that things don't go great because they're allowing those other cultures to influence them in a negative way. Chapter 10, God does an amazing thing. They're battling and they're battling, and Joshua prays that the sun would stand still so they can keep battling in the light. And the Bible says that God had never done that before and he hadn't done it since, but the sun stands still and Israel is able to defeat many of their enemies. Chapters 12 through 24, they divide up the land. And matter of fact, we have a map that there kind of show you the, the land, how it was divided with the 12 tribes. The book ends with a challenge from Joshua. Remember, they didn't take all the land they were supposed to take. They didn't get rid of all of the people that they were supposed to get rid of. And they start to compromise. And this is why Joshua, at the end of his life, says this. A verse that's probably in many of your homes. Jo Joshua says this in chapter 24. So honor the Lord and serve him wholeheartedly. And put away the foreign idols of your ancestors. Verse 14. That they worshipped in Egypt and put away the idols that they worship beyond the Euphrates and in Egypt. Serve the Lord alone. For if you are unwilling to serve the Lord, then choose today who you will serve. They begin to compromise and allow outside influence to influence them. And he says, would you prefer the gods of your ancestors that they serve beyond the Euphrates? Or will it be the gods of the Amorites in the land in which you live? But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. You know that verse. Joshua comes to a point where he's like, hey, you figure out what you're going to do, but I'm following God no matter what you do. Let's look at three ordinary people with extraordinary stories and then we're done. The first one, of course, is Joshua. I want to repeat what I said a little bit, er, a little bit earlier because it's important. I believe that God can do great things through any one of you here. If we commit ourselves to God, he can do great things through us. Joshua was not born a saint. He was born a slave in Egypt. And then he becomes a servant to Moses or an intern, an assistant to Moses. 
Moses gives them a task of spying out the land of Canaan. And Joshua is one of the two that came back with a positive report. We can take the land. Let's obey God. We can do this. That was his moment. God used him in an incredible way. And now Joshua would be the leader taking over from Moses. Born a slave and he becomes a leader that is used in incredible ways. Listen, if God can use Joshua... And if God can do great things through Joshua, God can do great things through you. The next person, Rahab, a prostitute to God's instrument. What's interesting about Rahab, and you might not know this, maybe you do, she's a prostitute. She's known as Rahab the harlot. Yet, what's interesting is if you go to the book of Hebrews chapter 11, which is known as the Hall of Faith, where the writer lists all these incredible people that had unbelievable faith and that God used in incredible ways, guess who's listed in the Hall of Faith? Rahab. But it doesn't stop there. In Matthew chapter 1, when Matthew's going through the lineage of Messiah, Jesus, guess who is listed in the lineage of Jesus? Rahab. But it doesn't stop there. The brother of Jesus, James, in James chapter 2, when he's talking about works and faith and show me your faith, show me your, your faith, I'll show you my works, faith without works is dead. Guess who he mentions as having incredible works? Rahab, the brother of Jesus. Listen, be careful who you judge. Be careful who you cast to the side. Be careful who you label and say, God cannot use this person. They live this kind of lifestyle. They do this. Be careful who you cast aside. Be careful who you decide who's going to heaven and who's not going to heaven. Be careful who you decide who God can use and who's beyond the scope of God's reach. Rahab, an ancestor of Jesus in the hall of faith. And she would go on and live amongst the Israelites. Isn't that amazing? Listen, if God can use Rahab, if God can do extraordinary things through Rahab, God can do extraordinary things through you. The last one, and then we're done. Caleb. Caleb, an ordinary person used in extraordinary ways. Like, jo like Joshua, Caleb was born a slave. Caleb is one of the 12 spies that Moses sends in to Canaan to spy the land. And a matter of fact, it wasn't Joshua that spoke up first. It was Caleb that spoke up first and encouraged the people and said, hey, let's take this land. We can do it. God has told us, let's do it. And Joshua and Caleb are two 
from that original first generation of Israelites, the only two that were able to enter the promised land. Caleb was not chosen to be the leader of the Israelites. Joshua was. And yet at the end of Caleb's life, if you look around chapter 16, chapter 17, Caleb is 85 years old and he comes to Joshua and he says, Joshua, I want the land that's been promised to me. And you know what land I want? I want the mountain where the giants live. Caleb at 85, he says, I'm as strong as I was when I went in to spy on the land when I was 40. I'm just as committed to God as ever. And Caleb at 85 years old takes the mountain, still living for God, still sold out, and still being used in extraordinary ways. If God can do extraordinary things through Caleb, he can do extraordinary things through you. If God can use an intern, a prostitute, and a spy to do incredible things, I don't want to hear anything about how God can't use you in your life because he can. If you're willing, if you're willing, and if you're available. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for this amazing book of Joshua, an incredible conquest. Unfortunately, they didn't do everything that you called them to do. They did a lot. I don't know if they just became content. I don't know if they gave up. I don't know. We do know that they were influenced by outside forces. and They took a lot of the land, but not all of it. And God, I pray that each of us that we don't just do part of what you want us to do, but we do all that you want us to do. And Father, I just pray for each person here today. Maybe their confidence is lacking because of something that they did in their past or a mistake that was made or whatever it is, and they just keep looking in that rear view mirror for so long that it's keeping them from your best moving forward. And God, I pray, Father, that you help us to understand that what we've read today, Joshua, Rahab, and Caleb, they were ordinary people just like us. But when the time came for you to do something great through them, they were ready, they were willing, and they were available. And God, I pray that each of us, I pray that we can have that same attitude. There's greatness in each of us, not because of us, but because of the God that fills us with his presence. And so God, I pray that you equip each person here. I pray that we all dream big. And God, I pray that none of us will limit ourselves or you through us. Because if you can do extraordinary things through these three people we looked at, you can do extraordinary things through us. Our story's not over. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen, amen.